It makes you think, Lord, how can I be a part of the change? How can I step into not just being a passive observer of this, but Lord, how can I engage myself in the world that we live in to seek making the things that are broken unbroken? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done. And I believe that Jesus will raise up many of us to engage in all these different areas where there is effective change that is needed. Sometimes it seems like you see brokenness everywhere you look. But in spite of all the needs you see, it's hard to know how to help or where to start. In today's edition of Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel reminds you that God wants to use you to heal the hurts in the world, to fix the broken systems. But he doesn't leave you to figure it out on your own. He'll be with you every step of the way. Just simply respond to him as you walk step by step. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 24 as he continues his message, More Random Laws. Slavery in the Bible was most often, we would call it having a job. When somebody because of their business dealings or something would go on and they couldn't pay their bills, they would link themselves to a wealthy landover and they would work for them to be able to pay down their debt. And in a lot of ways, like if you have a job that you don't love, but you do it because it pays your rent or your mortgage and your food bill and you need all that stuff, according to the Bible, that's the way slavery functioned. It's not kidnapping someone, removing them, taking away all their rights and subjugating them. Because if you read Exodus 21 and you read this verse right here, what you realize is that if you do that, that is a capital crime in God's economy. Why? Because it's a life for a life. It's a life for a life. And when we act in such a way by kidnapping somebody, mistreating them or whatever, we are violating God's law. And I think it's also important. We do live in a day and age where it'd be great to say that slavery didn't exist, but the statistics tell us sex slavery is alive and well. Portland is one of the hub cities for it. It's amazing that there is slavery going on in our own community right now. I'm grateful for many of you who are involved in the eradication of, of sex slavery Now, we always say the best way to eradicate sexual slavery is for a revival of the gospel. Because when God revives hearts, men or women who would seek to hurt somebody, either for sex or to use their bodies to make the money, that changes. See, there would be no sex slavery if men wouldn't pay for sex. And that's a heart problem. The fact that men would do it, that's a heart problem. The fact that men would pay for internet pornography, all these things. The supply and demand creates the problem, and Jesus wants to eradicate the problem. And God wants us to work to make sure that nobody is ever kidnapped, taken against their will. And you can read the stories about what they're doing in developing countries where people are going and they're finding young people and they're saying, listen, we're going to take you to the city, we're going to give you a great job, and because there's so much poverty, the parents just send them. And then they put them in horrible conditions. They addict them to drugs. And then they pimp these girls and guys out. It's horrible. And it's going on today. 
Again, when you read this stuff, it makes you think, Lord, how can I be a part of the change? How can I step into not just being a passive observer of this, but Lord, how can I engage myself in the world that we live in to seek making the things that are broken unbroken? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done. And I believe that Jesus will raise up many of us to engage in all these different areas where there is effective change that is needed. Now, don't miss the fact also that Deuteronomy 24, verse 7 also is pointing to what happened to Joseph at the hands of his brothers in Genesis chapter 37, where kidnapping often was to sell somebody into slavery, which is exactly what Joseph's brothers did to him. So those things link together. Now, in verses 8 and 9, it says, Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy, that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, just as I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. So now we have these skin disease laws. Now, if you want to go back, I taught on this in Leviticus 13 and 14. And I made the point there that most scholars would tell you that where we see leprosy in the Bible, it's often about skin diseases, a whole plethora of skin diseases, which leprosy was one of them. Now, remember, there was very elaborate testing, separation, and when someone was healed, re-inclusion into the community. Why? Because the law of Moses was also a health code. In the same way, when someone's got a skin rash, right? Normally they'll put medicine on it or they'll cover it up or they'll wear long sleeve shirts. Why? So that it doesn't spread. Now, in a lot of ways, the way that skin ailments were dealt with in the Bible is the same way. God actually cares that we be healthy and he doesn't want communicable diseases to be running forth through the children of Israel without any recourse. And so that's why there was this separation. The priests were involved in helping to diagnose. And when somebody was healthy again, they were readmitted into the people. And you can read all of this in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. Now, there is this reminder here, because it says, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. And that comes right out of Numbers chapter 12. Remember, Miriam led her brother Aaron in rebellion against Moses, and the Lord struck Miriam with leprosy for a season. And so it's just an important reminder that if God would deal with Miriam in such a way that they need to be very, very careful to make sure that everybody stays safe. So skin diseases. Now we move on. Verse 10, when you lend your brother anything, you shall not go into his house to get his pledge. You shall stand outside and the man to whom you lend shall bring the pledge out to you. Verse 12, and if the man is poor, you shall not keep his pledge overnight. You shall in any case return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down that he may sleep in his own garment and bless you and it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. Now, again, now we have... Speaking of pledges, how we do business. And the idea here is really when somebody wants to grant a loan, whatever is used for collateral, you need to observe the dignity of the borrower. So like the idea is if somebody was going to lend something, you just can't go into their house and take whatever you want. 
You need to let them go into their own house and bring out whatever they want to use as collateral. Because the idea was is even though somebody needed a loan, they still had inherent dignity because they were created in the image and likeness of God. And so one of the points of this is that God wants to make sure that no matter where somebody is at, we always deal with them in a way that has the dignity that is rightful for an image bearer of God, no matter how marred that image may seem. And I think for us, it really speaks to us always remembering that every person we come in contact with is part of the human family. No human is meant to be seen as disposable. No one is meant to be seen as undignified because each person was created in the image and likeness of God and bears the image of God, even though that image is a little warped by sin, but redeemable by Jesus. Does that make sense? So make sure that as followers of Jesus, we always hold people in the esteem that they should be as created beings of our most high God, even if they don't realize that God is their creator and that they do bear his image. And so you have the dignity because oftentimes when somebody needs to borrow money, there is a feeling of shame. God doesn't want people to feel shame when they need help. And so the dignity of the borrower is well-preserved. In the same way, if someone is poor, it says you shall not keep his pledge overnight. And so this really speaks about the idea of using their cloak, which was their outer garment, which was their blanket as well. And so for somebody who is poor, the only thing that they could use as collateral was this, this cloak, which was their outer garment, and also doubled as their sleeping blanket. And so if they gave it to you during the day, you had to give it back to them at night. Why? Again, because God loves people. And God doesn't want people to be exploited, and God doesn't want people to get hurt. And I love this because it says, you shall in any case, verse 13, return the pledge to him again when the sun goes down. Notice that he may sleep in his own garment and what? And bless you. And it shall be righteousness to you before the Lord your God. See, one of the ways the righteousness of Jesus plays out in our lives as we follow these prescriptions As we say, Lord, we see the principle here and we're going to apply it to our lives, even though it puts maybe the person who is lending at a seeming place of risk, because the person who is vulnerable blesses you, God says, it says, it's like righteousness. Their praise of your blessing and your love for them, it brings glory to God. And that's what God wants. And that's why Christian ethics are so important. That's why Jesus could say, you want to know what it's all about? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And what? And love your neighbor as yourself. See, all of this teaching of scriptures is you live upward and you give God your whole heart and you love God. You live vertically, right? You live upward and then you live inward. Because of God's love for you, you see yourself properly and then you send that love outward into the world. When was the last time you looked at your life and said, how does my life line up with loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving my neighbor as myself? How does my witness in the world, am I making sure that I'm letting people feel dignified, that I'm protecting people who are vulnerable? It's very, very important here. Now, in verses 14 and 15, we get the same idea, but now it's about the way you care for your employees. So notice, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, 
whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates, each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be a sin to you. Now, really the idea here is, again, in a culture before there was pantries and freezers and refrigerators and, you know, you got to pay your bill and all this stuff. Everything was very transactional and your daily needs needed to be provided every single day. And one of the ways a landowner or a wealthy businessman could oppress people who work for them is by withholding wages because they needed to pay for things every single day. And so here it says, don't oppress them. If you are in a place of responsibility as an employer, you make sure you do your best to take care of the employees. You pay them what they are due, when they are due. So like today, I wouldn't say, well, listen, you need to get paid every single day. But if you're on a two-week pay schedule, you should get paid every two weeks. If you're on a monthly pay schedule, you should get paid every month. If That's the job that you took and the parameters there. But God wants to make sure that people are not being oppressed because of their neediness again. So we go on from there. In verse 16, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Now, this is important. This is the law of personal responsibility. The idea is that each person is uniquely responsible for their own lives, and you can't punish a family member for the wrong that one of their family members committed. Now, I think this is important because oftentimes we get frustrated and we want justice, but we end up taking it out on somebody other than the person who perpetrated the injustice. So here we see that God has very specific lines on personal responsibility, individual responsibility. The punishment exacted for a crime goes to the person who committed the crime, not their extended family. So to see how that works. And in the same way, if you think about it from a spiritual perspective, God holds each one of us accountable for our own lives. God doesn't hold parents accountable for their adult children's decisions. And in the same way, God doesn't hold children accountable for their parents' decision. Now, no doubt that the decisions within families impacts the family, but each one is held personally responsible for their own life. And in the meeting out of justice, it is the same way. You see how this is a lot of random laws, right? We're jumping all over the place right now. We'll keep going. Verse 17, you shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Now, again, and we've been talking about this a bunch here, God's concern for the underprivileged appears here again. We saw it in Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 14, 16. Now we're seeing it here a couple times in verse 24. And all this is based on Exodus chapter 22 and 23 and Leviticus 19 and 20. So we keep seeing these things over and over and over again. Now, again, those who were, who were strangers, people who were foreigners in the land right? Those who were fatherless, who didn't have the covering of a patriarch who provides for them, and the widow, three of the most vulnerable classes of people in that culture. 
So the idea is, is because they're vulnerable, make sure you do not pervert justice that is due to them. But why? Verse 18, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Now, this is super important. See, the foundation for them to remembering to do justice to people who are vulnerable is for them to look back at their own situation. And in a lot of ways, brothers and sisters, the best way for you to think about how you should handle a situation is to remember where you were before you came to know Christ and how God treated you. See, what happens is Satan is smart. And so what Satan does is when somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus, and because someone put their faith and trust in Jesus, they go from being guilty of their own sins to now being redeemed, right? Then Satan starts to work on them that now that you're redeemed, I want you to look down on people who don't yet know Jesus. And you see people who are outside of Christ, who don't know what they're doing, who don't know their left hand from their right hand, who are completely off base. And I want you to look down on them. Why does Satan work that way? Because he knows that if we look down on them, we will not be sharing the good news of Jesus with them, seeing that they would be redeemed and changed and transformed. And it limits our witness. But when we can always have a short memory, we can remember what we were like before we got saved. When we can remember what it was like before we knew the grace of God and all the things that we did that we know now are totally wrong, but we did it in ignorance because we didn't know, right? When we remember where we've been and we remember that even in that place of rebellion, God redeemed us, now we look at everyone and say, that is someone who God wants to redeem. And brothers and sisters, you know, this is a driving passion of our church, driving passion of me in the ministry is that I never want us as followers of Jesus to look down our nose at people who don't yet know Jesus. Why? Because we were just like them. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd still be there. But God has come and he came and got us. And he sent his kids to love us right where we are, despite how we were living. And God will accept us exactly as we are. But God loves us too much to keep us that way. And God wants all of us, every single one of us, to be on mission with our friends and in our community and the world that we live in, remembering how we used to be before Jesus and seeing Jesus transform us and saying, every single person is a redemption case. And we treat people the way we would want to be treated. When we think about how God treated us when we were lost, when we were in rebellion, and then we say, Lord, I want to treat people the way you treated me. You loved me. You sought me out. You were patient with me. You bore with me. And Lord, you have loved me and transformed me. Lord, let me be that vehicle into the world. Remember where we've been and remember that God redeemed us. Never forget where you came from. I mean, I'm grateful I'm not what I used to be. Praise God. But I know that God came and found me. And God wants to find the people around you. God wants to find the people in your school, the people across the globe who have yet to hear the good news that Jesus is real. God wants to go find them. And I believe God intends to send us out. I mean, think about for those of us who were born and raised here in America, God sent missionaries here so that we would know the gospel. There's all sorts of people from all different ethnicities. How did the gospel get from Israel to all of our ethnicities? Because somebody brought the good news because we were lost and someone got found. Like, I got to get the word out. I believe that God is going to raise us all up as a church family to be part of the process to send hundreds of thousands of people to the lost world and all of us to our local community because there's lost people everywhere. Because we remember that God did that for us and we want to pass that along.
We want to treat others as God has done for us. Now, verse 19, it says this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bows again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterwards. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Now, think about how beautiful this is. Because what it's saying here is that God has within his people a built-in welfare system. So if you have a field, if you have an olive grove, or if you have a vineyard, when you go and collect the fruit of that, don't go back over it. Leave some in the field. Why? For the people who are the most vulnerable, that they would have something to eat. And if you look in your Bibles, we have all sorts of beautiful examples of God's kids who are partakers of this. I mean, you think of the book of Ruth, right? Ruth was gleaning in Boaz's field and ultimately became Boaz's wife. And if you read the genealogies of Jesus, Ruth's in there, right? You look at the disciples. They're getting in trouble with the Pharisees because on the Sabbath day, they're going through the field and they're gleaning some of the grain. Why? Because they were following Jesus, but they were hungry. And so within our harvesting of our labors, do you set aside a portion of that to help those in need? Now, brothers and sisters, this is Christianity. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that we don't just think of ourselves and how do we maximize every penny of profit. Part of our profit is that we bless others with our increase that we make sure that other people have what they need because they're in vulnerable situations and we don't help them because we have to. We help them because we get to. So he's saying, listen, when you do your field, leave some in there. When you do your olive groves, don't keep hitting. Leave some olives in there. When you have a vineyard, don't collect all the grapes. Leave some in there. Why? Because the people who are in need will come and you want to bless them. You want to do for them what wasn't done for you in Egypt. Why? Because I've called you to a more excellent way. And brothers and sisters, in our self-centered culture that we live in, find every way that you can to be a blessing. And sometimes it's as easy as saying, I'm going to leave some of the harvest untouched and I'm going to release it to people who need it. Because I could go back and grab it all, but I got more than enough and I can help other people. Could you imagine what could happen if the people of God, not just the Crossroads family, and don't miss, we're part of a really, really big church. And if all of us chose to release some of what we could harvest for ourselves into our community and our world, the impact that we could have as a very large church is extraordinary. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel asked you to think about how you can be a blessing to others. In these guidelines for life, God told his people to make sure to leave food in the fields and on the trees to make sure that the most vulnerable people would be able to eat. In the same way, God wants you to consider how you can come alongside those in need. As a child of God, you've received everything you have. How can you share that gift with others? Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. 
I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus is Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus is Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. Thanks for joining us today for Jesus is Real Radio. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue working through more of the laws Moses reiterated to the Israelites right before they entered the promised land. While you aren't subject to the law because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, there are many things that you can learn from these mandates and apply to your life now. Please be aware that this message will include topics that may not be suitable for young listeners. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Blueprints. Until then, may God bless.